0: The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Lord Most of us who pray learn quite quickly that we get very little what we pray for. some of us learn to be very careful what we pray for. Because what we expected when we asked for it is not what we got. Or maybe what we asked for is not what we really needed. What I'm driving at, though, is what happens when God says no? What happens when God says no. The truth of the matter is, for most of our tradition and most of the scriptural witness, God says no. God says no. God said yes once in the Torah, those first five books of the Bible, and broke the bonds of slavery and led God's people out into the wilderness. And then for most of the time, the people were upset because they weren't getting what they wanted from God. For a lot of the time, it seemed God was saying no, or at least giving them what they didn't ask for. People got so frustrated, they end up making their own gods at least once, if not more than that. They get to Israel, and then they decide, after a period of judges and a few prophets, that they want a king like everybody else. What does God say? No, no, they insist. Samuel, the great prophet, says to them, well, it's a package deal, folks. you sure you want this? Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. And so finally, God relents. It's a reluctant yes, and it doesn't go very well. They get Saul, who turns out to be, well, I think the best thing to say is a bad egg. Then they get David, who is far from perfect, although like all tyrants who mess up, his memory is more positive than the actual real-life experience. Funny that, I just want to put a bookmark there, because... You know, much of Christian history has unfolded under tyrants, and so did ours in Anglicanism. You remember that guy, Henry VIII? Yeah. He was a petty one. His daughter, Elizabeth, was a bit of a tyrant, too, um, although we like to remember her more fondly. But she kind of forced the Book of Common Prayer on us, in case you didn't notice was not very popular at first but i digress only to illustrate that most of the time god has either given us a rotten deal or has said no and it goes on particularly amongst the history of god's people there is the babylonian exile in which the passage that we heard today from Isaiah was written. Later on, the Seleucids arrive and take over everything. And tonight our Jewish brothers and sisters are remembering Hanukkah, which remembers one of those rare moments where it seemed that God said yes, and they reclaimed the temple, and they purified it and rededicated it And miraculously, the candles burned for eight days, even though there was oil only for one. But for the rest of the time, it seems, God said no, because then came the Romans. Then came the Romans. Which leads us into this lovely narrative from Luke, which we all know, and it sounds so beautiful almost magisterial in its own way. But the funny thing is that these birth narratives about Jesus are not quite the Messiah that everybody was expecting. You know, it would have been so much easier had Jesus been born in Rome, in the palace, the son of an emperor, with an army at his command, And the whole world listening to him by default. Just so much easier, right? Am I completely off base here? I mean, this is what we expect, is it not? Were you around here for the past year? Did you all vote? Do you remember the election we just had? We love power. We want people to save us. And we may be on the progressive side of things, in which case we're in a world of hurt right now. Or we may be on the conservative side of things and thinking, yeah, this may be our guy. Or we may be moderates, just confused as all get out. Or we may be anarchists standing on the side laughing, saying, "Ah, I told you so. But the reality is that this is not the kind of messiah we get at Christmas Not one who is elected by majority vote. Not one who is elected by the Electoral College or the Senate. Not one who is raised up as a populist ruler from amongst the people. No, I'm sorry, not one who comes from Queens, New York. Mark opens his gospel without a birth narrative. It's as if it doesn't matter. And the only thing that Mark seems to telegraph to us is that Jesus is from a small town in the middle of nowhere in Galilee, that north sort of bumpkin, crazy area, far from the center of Judaism, far from the center of power. Matthew and Luke go to great pains to tell us that Jesus is descended from the line of King David, which seems to give some stamp of authenticity to him. But then Jesus is born without benefit of Joseph's help. Joseph is a little bit embarrassed about that. And more to the point, the people of the day hardly notice, except when rumor reaches Herod's ears, he's embarrassed. Especially when some kings from the east show up and say, hey, we want to see this guy. Herod didn't give an order for this kid to be named. And Herod has his own dynasty to look after. Trouble begins to brew. How is this supposed to work politically? How is this Messiah supposed to work out for a world that only listens to the language of power and wealth? How is this Messiah supposed to work out when he has nothing at his disposal except a bunch of stinky shepherds and two parents who are probably more bewildered than anyone about how he came into the world? John tells us, as well, that Jesus is born outside of the nexus of power. John illustrates a gorgeous Christology where Jesus existed from before time, and before space, and before any ruler of the earth. But nevertheless, when Christ shows up, John tells us his own people don't even recognize him. They don't know who he is. Because you see, my sisters and brothers, God said, no, again. No, God says, I am not going to play your games of power and wealth and domination and violence and empire. God says, I'm not going to play games of national identity and statism and all of the things that we are captivated by. And I want to ask God, so how is this going to work? How is this going to work? How are you going to fix the problems in the human family when you have no political power, you have no clout? You're born on the edge of empire with nothing. In fact, less than nothing because you have people at the margins of society who are singing your praises and nobody listens to them. And in fact, when they speak up, they get trampled underfoot by whoever's in power. How is this going to work? How are you going to fix things like human degradation and hunger and illness and sickness? How are you going to fix the abject problems of the world? How is this going to work? This is a question that our Christian ancestors also asked in the days before Constantine, in the days even before institutions like this one were established and Supported by the wider society in a number of ways. How is this going to work? When God has said no to all of the things that we believe make the world work and make the world go around. like you, that question takes me into silence, as I think it should, because that's what this night is all about, not answers to difficult questions, not a great political leader who's going to ride in and clean it all up for us. Not even the hope that we thought we had when we listened closely to the prophets who told us about someone who was going to make it all right again, who was going to come with righteousness and clear the deck and restore our power and our dignity and our prestige. crazy thing, the crazy thing, especially at this time in our history and in our common life, is that Christmas tells us that God is born outside of the nexus of power, that God is born completely beyond the boundaries of anything we think that is effective or worthwhile. Put another way, God is born in those vulnerable, difficult, painful parts of our lives where we feel we have no power at all, where we are most likely at the edge of despair, where hope, it seems, has ended. Maybe that's good news. On Christmas Eve, the jury is still out. The rest of the year explores that question. So what I leave with you this night, my sisters and brothers, in this crazy Christ of ours. Is this response from God when we ask, How is this going to work? How is this going to work? When there's no power involved, no worldly statecraft, no weapons, no armies. How are you going to fix things? How? And then to be answered by silence. A silence that is very deep and frustrating. Frustrated our spiritual ancestors, not for centuries, but for millennia. a silence that seems filled with a deep and almost eternal sense of abandoned hope. But then, we hear, in the darkness, the cries of a newborn child. 1907 search for us online or visit our website at oursaviormelvalley.org we wish you god's peace we hope to greet you in person very soon